It's time for Love Talk with the love ladies, Kathy and Carrie. Love Talk today with special guest Donnie Boyd about a very unique and understanding outreach ministry. Hello, friends, and welcome to Love Talk. This is Coach Carrie Brunkater, and what a beautiful day in the neighborhood here in Austin, Texas. Thank you for joining us on KTXW, the Bridge Austin, Central Texas Christian Talk, where we build bridges of love and leadership. And on the line with me is Kathy Enderbrock. Friends, it's great to join you. Carrie, you sound fantastic this morning. It's always wonderful to hear your voice. I hope everyone's turkey turned out perfectly. I hope the gravy was not lumpy unless you intended it to be. (laughs) And uh, I hope everyone just had a fantastic time together with family and people that you love. And I hope the house was filled with a thankful spirit. Absolutely. You know, Kathy, this uh, past week, over the last week, week and a half, I was talking with my guys in my Parkinson's class and asking them, you know, are you guys getting together with your family this year? And most of them said no. Only a few said that they were going to have, you know, a traditional family gathering. And so I'll be looking forward to seeing them um, over the next couple of days and finding out how that went. Uh, Some of them were going to Zoom with their family or FaceTime with their families so that they could be together. And some said that their families were going to take COVID tests before they came to visit. And I thought that was a good idea. You know, when you're dealing with a population that's at risk. Um, So I thought those were good things, but it may, it did make my heart sad that we're having to go through this and that we can't get together with um, those people that love us so dearly and those hugs, how they feel and how they just rejuvenate our bodies and conversation around the table and just, you know, waiting for the gravy to thicken and telling stories <laughs> and things like that. So um, I do hope that you had a great time with your family, whether it was virtual or whether it was in person. Um I know that think times are just kind of kind of strange right now, but um, but that's okay. We as we trudge through and we look forward to what the future brings. Uh, we wanted to give you a little update on our precious first lady of love, Miss Evelyn Davison. She is getting on top of some health issues, and she is so looking forward to being back here in studio with us very very soon. I know that Kathy and I are just a paltry substitute for. The First Lady of Love, Miss Evelyn Davison, um, but we are doing our best to fill in and as she's getting on top of these health issues. Um, well, and I always think of, you know, when Christmas is coming up, I mean, so this is our last program for the month of November, right? And so yeah. our next program will be December, and I think, well, December joy and December love, we have to have our joy with us and our First Lady mm-hmm. of Love with us. So we're hoping that... Um, as of that first week of December, that first Saturday in December, we're going to um, have the joy of having Miss Evelyn with us. Yes, yes, I, I second that. Um, just keep her in your thoughts and prayers, uh, you faithful listening friends. Kathy, today we have a awesome guest here uh, in studio today as we look to the Christmas season. Here we are embarking upon December you know, I know that a lot of us think about ways that we can serve, that we can help. We, we, um, I enjoy giving gifts at Christmas. I, you know, I don't give a whole lot of gifts during the year to my family members. I, I mean, I guess at birthdays and stuff, but I love Christmas. I, I just love the joy of it. And I know a lot of us are maybe looking for alternative ways to, to give this year or thinking outside of the box in this, year of the Rona, the COVIDs, however you're calling it in your family. Um, and so I'm I'm really looking forward to diving in with our guests today. Um, now, Kathy, our key verses for today, Matthew 25, 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. 1 John three seventeen and 18, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, do not, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. 
two verses that really talk about putting action behind our words during this season of giving. Well, Kathy, give me the update on what's been going on in your family over this last week, this Thanksgiving week. Did you have the girls home? Well, we didn't have Aaliyah home, so Aaliyah joined uh, the family in in Texas, and it was oh, okay. a smaller Thanksgiving. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have <coughs> excuse me, we have family in in Demet and Dallas and Colleen and kind of spread all over Texas. Uh, but our 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 Demet family didn't make it up. They they're a little bit older, and they thought, well, we might just stay put this year. So it was a little bit of a, a smaller family Thanksgiving for Aaliyah. Uh, but she did get to be with her her nana and papa and a few cousins and, and aunties and uncles. They had a really nice time there. I think everyone just gathered together in Colleen. And uh, then as far as uh, Eric and I, we obviously had Faithy and Jordan. And it was a really neat Thanksgiving week for us because... Um, the week before, uh, I turned 50 and then Faithy turned 16 and 16 is a really big year in our family. So it was, it was just kind of a a week full of celebration and, uh, it was really nice. You know, one of the things that, that, um, Eric and I have come to realize that's been kind of convicting, um, is we we just look at everything going on in our nation and and I've just been involved in so many prayer calls um over just the election integrity and um just all of the the fraud that's being exposed and the whistleblowers that continue to come forward and I've just been praying with so many people uh, across this nation and globally some my one prayer call there was over 8000 people um streaming in it was just phenomenal but um, one of the things that we've realized is that, you know, this the church in America has really abandoned family prayer. We've kind of replaced family prayer with mealtime blessing. Mm. And it's it's not the same thing. And where mealtime blessing is, is wonderful, it's, it's just wonderful, but it is not the same as a set-aside time of family prayer for hearts to really draw close to God and... Uh, to bring concerns and joys and praises to him. And so it's kind of been a bit of a wake-up call for Eric and I, and we think, oh, gosh, Lord, you know, we've had moments of family prayer when there's been big decisions to make, but it's never been a consistently weekly uh, thing for us. Mm -hmm. And so it's something that we've been kind of working on and, and trying to incorporate and then I've just been trying, Carrie, so hard to get this Bible study finished up. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm done with all the primary writing and I'm in all of the edits and looking forward to having that done so it can be out to women in the spring. And as soon as I have a launch date, we'll do a program on that to let everyone know how they can get it. I am so excited to see your work on that, Kathy. I know you've been working on this for the good a good bit, about a year, right? Yeah. Um, and so, well, hey, I mean, that is, that is a huge undertaking, and I am very excited to uh, partake in this and to share that with our listeners. Well, friends, it is time to introduce our guest today, and I'm so thankful that he's here today. He was here, uh, Donnie, I guess you were here about a month ago. Was it that long um, already? Yeah, maybe a little, maybe five <laughs> weeks ago. Uh, Donnie Boyd is in studio today, friends. Donnie and I have known each other for a few years through church, and I'm just so grateful for his ministry in Georgetown. 45 years old, and he's has he's married and has four beautiful children. He's been in full-time ministry for about two years now. He serves people from all walks of life and has spent a considerable amount of time with the homeless, as well as the low-income elderly population. He's a writer, a phenomenal photographer, and he uses these tools to share the gospel with the community at large. Welcome to the show, Donnie. Great to have you back, man. Well, thank you. I'm very uh, happy to be here. You know, Donnie, it was funny. I saw one of your Facebook posts a couple of weeks ago, and you were out. I, I have no idea where you were. Uh, you always look like you're out in the middle of nowhere whenever you take your photos, and I love it. But you, I guess you had one of your daughter's friends with you, and she said, Mr. Boyd, you know, your, your photos sometimes seem kind of sad. Right. Um, because you do a lot of black and white stuff and you take pictures in a way that just, man, it just captures 
like what could have happened there? What, <laughs> you know, what what on earth was going on 50 years ago in this shack, yeah. right? Or in this field or in this old truck or you take these photos of, of people and it just shows every emotion. I, I mean, it's unbelievable what you can capture. But I found that pretty profound by a child to tell you that like yeah. hey mr boy like your photos seem kind of sad yeah and your response to her was um well you know i didn't realize it's one of my daughter's friends and uh, she, we were out hiking and she just basically blunted blurted out you know i just really love your photos she said i love how they're droopy droopy that's right that's what she said <laughs> droopy okay, yeah. i just hadn't heard that word in so long and i thought of the, the comic book character droopy you yeah, know yeah, the little yeah. sad dog or whatever mm-hmm. and and then uh, she goes, you know, I think they're 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 more like art. The sad photos are mm-hmm. like art. And then she says, you know, uh, the sad photos actually make me happy, which sounded very strange, especially coming from a ten year old. I was like, well, what do you mean? She goes, well, I know uh, if if God is there in the sad things, and that just blew me away because mm-hmm. that is exactly kind of my approach. I do take. Photos that are just, um, they're not happy, cheerful photos, almost mm-hmm. ever. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think it's kind of a reflection on how I sort of view our fallen world. Mm-hmm. Our, our world is fallen, and it, things are breaking down all the time, and we're always in the process of becoming not here. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want to get too morose, but mm-hmm. um, but I just, I also know that God's redeemed all of that. And I think mm-hmm. that's, I'm just fascinated by that kind of, the conflux of the two and and so, yeah, I mean, when she said that, it was just, you know, God is there in the sad things. And coming from a wow. mouth of a 10-year-old, it really, I mean, it choked me up. I was just like, wow, and mm-hmm. told her parents about it, and they were all blown away. And, and she's just the happiest, cheer, most cheerful, fun-loving little girl. And for mm-hmm. her to say that, it really stopped me in my tracks. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, hearing that from a child, when you, when you, when I was reading that, and then you have these photos of her, and she's, you know, she's so... um you can tell that there were happy moments there, but your photos, again, are capturing her in a way that shows, I, I don't know, a picture of that God is in all things, yeah. right? The skipping and the hopping, but yet he's there when you're alone. Yeah. He's there when you're by yourself. He's there when you're feeling not so great, right? And so, wow, I just loved that. That gives you a little insight, my friends, my listening friends, into Donnie, um, just his heart, his character, and um, and just kind of how he views life. All right, Donnie, so tell us a little bit about your family. How long have you been married? So it'll be 17 years uh, 17. here in January. So, um, you know, still a young marriage to some, especially my, my current friends that I've been hanging out with lately, people who've been <laughs> married for 60 plus years, you know. Um, yeah, I've been married 17 years, um, loving marriage, four children. Uh, we're in the thick of it. You know, we have a almost 16-year-old um, down to a 10-year-old. And so we're we're the soccer mom and dad. We're the cross-country mom and dad. We're the, just mm-hmm. constantly on the go and life is hectic. And um, But it's, it's awesome and um, we appreciate it. And you know, I do see how time flies, so I'm trying to cherish it. You know, part of me is like, "Come on, let's get <laughs> right." So get, parts of go to college, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. go on out of the house. But <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm loving every bit of it. I'm blessed, and and I and I just thank God for all of it. Yeah, you know, I there's times those of you with teenagers, Kathy, I know you know this. There's times whenever, you know, I look at my kids. Yesterday at school, we had the letter jacket ceremony for our sophomore kids and my son is a sophomore and I don't know holy guacamole as soon as he put that letter jacket on I thought you're a man yeah oh my gosh it just transformed him into this creature that I was like I'm not ready for this um I know they're ready right and it's our jobs to get them ready to fly the coop and to be these amazing humans that God made them to be but holy cow you put that letter jacket on it was real yeah right that's my baby tangible it's tangible right and so we love our super teens I tell my kids all the time I love you every day I love you fiercely every day but there are times that I don't like you very much and so let's not have any of those times today right and they're like mom we feel the same about you so right Um, well friends when we come back Donnie has an an absolutely incredible testimony to share with you about how he came to know Jesus loved him and then we're going to start talking about 
Donnie's experience working with the homeless, specifically around Austin and Georgetown area here in Central Texas, and things he's learned about that and ways that we can start to think about this situation um, maybe a little bit differently than we have before. Friends, you don't want to miss this amazing show with our friend Donnie Boyd when we return to Love Talk right after this. And welcome back, friends, to Love Talk. This is Kathy Endebrock in studio with Coach Carrie Brinkgater. Great to have you with us on this beautiful Saturday morning. Hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Friends, we just really appreciate when you join us every Saturday on the Bridge Austin 101.1 FM and 1120 AM and join us to build bridges of love and leadership throughout Central Texas and beyond. Well, we are really excited about this guest that we have in the studio today, the Prayer Collective, um, Donnie Boyd. He's helping us to understand about homeless um, all around us, how we can engage, what we can do, how to see them through Christ's eyes, and how to engage right where they are from right where we are. And heading into the Christmas season, this is all on our minds. We love to give. We love to share. Um, if you have Christ living in your heart, you probably have a very compassionate heart. And uh, we want to know how we can act responsibly to make the greatest impact for the need that's out there. And Carrie introduced us to our key verse. It's from Matthew twenty-five thirty-five in our first segment. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Um, there's so many people that we want to reach out to, invite into our lives. We want to do it responsibly. And Donnie, you've had incredible um, success in this, and you've learned so much about um, reaching out to the homeless, engaging the homeless, and having a, uh, a really big impact. Can you can you kind of share a little bit uh, uh, with us about um, how we can step in and make a, lot, a difference in the lives of those around us? Yeah, so <clears throat> everyone is, you know, it's on everybody's mind. It's a problem that's growing all over the nation. Uh, it's growing in our little town of Georgetown. Um, and, you know, down here in Austin, it's it's just everywhere. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've seen, all of us can agree that whatever we've been doing isn't working. And so, you know, it's it's a it's a difficult problem. There's no clear-cut, simple answer that, hey, just do X, Y, Z, and this, boom, the problem's taken care of. There's, there's no answers like that. However, I feel that if we change some of the fundamental ways we approach the problem, that maybe we can have an effect um, to at least lessen the issue, to maybe, to maybe slow it down. And particularly with the church, I think that there are things that we could learn uh, just straight from the scriptures that uh, on how to deal with situations like what the homeless are in. And so, you know, I, it's been a long journey. Um, you know, I did that uh, for two solid years. That's pretty much all I did was, was help the homeless almost seven days a week. And um, I, I, I was able to accomplish a lot. I mean, materially speaking, uh, if you looked at it on, on paper, you're like, wow, this was a very successful ministry. One of the guys that runs Williamson County Baptist Association up in Georgetown says, like, your ministry has been, looks like it's been going for years and years and years. And you've only been at it, you know, at the time, like one year. So God blessed my work in a way, but the work I did, um, I got to admit, I felt defeated. Um, you know, we I could go through the numbers and the statistics and everything, but we had took a lot of people off the street and just time and after time after time, I would see it fail. I would see them go back into the life that they that we had pulled them out of. I'd see everything that we'd given them get squandered. Um, I would see basically all of it for nothing. And so... <clears throat> You know, I write a lot of these stories about the situations that happen, but I didn't write a lot about the failures. And it wasn't because I was trying to hide it, but it was just like I wanted to be positive all the mm. time. And so I wasn't sharing, okay, yeah, that story about that guy that I helped who, you know, we got him a job and all that. Yeah, three weeks after that, he quit that job and I've never heard from him again. You know, I, I just wouldn't go into all those details because it was depressing. So I want to I want to give our listeners a little bit of background here. Um, Donnie. You got into this work. We'll continue your story, but I want our listeners to have some perspective here. You got into this work because you didn't exactly have the, you know, picture perfect childhood. I mean, mom and a dad and a stable home and a cozy bed and a, 
in a four-legged creature to pet. Like you didn't, you <laughs> didn't have that, right? No. Tell our listeners kind of where you came from. Okay, so just as quickly as I can, you know, when I was born, my dad was in prison. Um, at 18 months old, my mom took me to a daycare and didn't return to pick me up. And oh, wow. so I was all my entire life was spent in the foster system. Um, I, you know, I was in a boy's home in my high school years. And uh, after that, you know, so I, I just had no blood relatives at all. I did have a stepdad, so to speak. I, he was my foster dad. And he was kind of, and he, to this day, he's who I call my dad. But looking back on all of it, I, th- I feel like I grew up with him, but it was eight years of my whole mm. childhood. You know, that was it. It so, felt significant. Though. And it was. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, from the time I was five until I was 13, I lived mm-hmm. with him. And then at 13, I went to the boys' home. And um, so after the boys' home, I, I uh, ended up uh, in the Marine Corps. And in the Marine Corps, I was introduced to drugs. Um, and living in Southern California, I was stationed at El Toro when it was still a Marine Corps base in Orange County there. Beautiful area. Very fast-paced, you know, 24 hours a day. There's always somewhere to go, somewhere to party, somewhere to be. And I got really caught up in that lifestyle. And that would have been in the early 90s. And before I knew it, uh, before I blinked, really, I had been strung out of methamphetamines for like two, almost three years. Mm. You know, you don't, it's like the slow boil. You don't know what's Mm -hmm. happening until you're in the midst of it. And And you didn't really have anyone to hold you accountable either. Like all. no no big brother to say, dude, what are you doing? No, yeah. no. In fact, I was almost I was usually the voice of reason in my gr- group. Oh wow! I was usually the guy going, hey, are we sure we want to go? You know, this is ridiculous. And, mm-hmm. and so, so were you in the Marine Corps while you were doing this? I mean, no, I, I had I gotten know. out. I had gotten out, but the okay, Marine Corps I was is say, no. I mean, Marine Corps is rough. There's no way you'd be strung out and be able to do the drills that they yeah. that they have you do. Okay, all right, that yeah. helps. So no, I I had gotten out of the Marines and I stayed in Southern California, and okay. so I was a Midwest boy. I you know here I am living in on the beaches. Um, I was I was homeless. I mean, not homeless like the guys living under the bridge, but I didn't have a home. I was sleeping on couches. I did spend the night under piers on the beach, you know, mm-hmm. uh, more than a few nights. Um, and then it was actually a, a Sunday on January 24th, a Sunday night in 1998. Um, God revealed himself to me in a in more, you know, a miraculous way. I'm not going to go into this. I could spend two hours telling you that story. Um, you were in a hotel room, right? I was in a hotel room in Laguna Beach and a dingy hotel room. And in a nutshell, I thought I had died. In fact, I was told I was dead. And um, I asked to come back. I asked for forgiveness, and I was given forgiveness. And I woke up the next day, and I've never, ever been the same. I've been I – had, I had what I call your spiritual eyes. I, I was hyper aware of everything that had anything to do with God or the devil, um, you know, if whether it be a movie title, whether it be a book, whether it be an article in the newspaper, whether it be something someone said. You know, I just – I, uh, I I was changed. I was a completely different person. And so, you know, that was 20 some odd years ago. And the feelings that I had that morning, uh, the two main truths were that uh, God is real and the Bible is true. Those are the two things that I woke up with. And that's never changed. That's never even kind of changed. That's been the rock solid truth of my life ever since. And I just recently visited my brother um, uh, this past summer and he said something and he's not a believer. You know, he's he's actually in a pretty rough place, but he goes, you know, you haven't been the same ever since then. And it was like hearing that was like, okay, you know, I guess it's real when you're, when your closest family member will tell you something like that after 20 mm-hmm. years and he gives me a big hug and he was just really proud of me. Mm. But yeah, so, so I've been where a lot of these guys are, mm. you know, no family, no safety net, um, nobody, drug addiction, um, you know, I've never been to prison, but I've been to jail multiple times. You know, I've, I've spent 10, 20 days in jail. Um, so I've seen, so when I go out and I meet these people, I'm, they're almost my people, you know, like I'm like, you, I'm you comfortable. Get it. Yeah. You understand. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, and I, you know, Donnie, I think that's what God gave you, right? We look at these hard places in our lives, you know, and I've told my testimony on this show before, you know, I look at those hard places where I was like, I am filthy and unclean. And how could God ever love me? Hmm. And how could another human ever love me? Right. But I know that those experiences allowed me to be a better coach for many players that have played that have played for me. Because I could kind of get it, yeah. right, in some in some way. 
Um, not that all of our experiences were exactly the same, right? But you get it. You get mm. those low places, and you um, you kind of understand it. So, right. so you can look at it through eyes of not maybe non-judgmental eyes, and say, okay, like I I understand, I understand. But let's let's talk about what the future could hold for you, right? right? So I think that's what makes you so good at this work, Donnie, that that experience, your life experience allows you to talk to people in a way that I that I wouldn't be able to. I haven't I've never been homeless. Yeah. Um, But it allows you to talk to people in a way that they understand. Right. So, okay, so let's go back to your story. So a few years ago, you basically quit your job and you said, I'm going to go into ministry and I'm, I really want to help people. Yes. I really want to help people. And you started the prayer collective and you searched out, well, homeless folks yeah. in and around the Georgetown area. Right. Right. And so that's, that's where we pick up with your story of you were trying to help people in Georgetown, which, you know, Donnie, I, I tell you what, before you started the prayer collective, I didn't really, maybe I didn't, maybe my eyes were closed to yeah. what was going on around me. But when you started that ministry, I guess it's been three years ago yeah. now, three, four years ago now, I started seeing people Isn't that incredible? in and around town. I was like, You're oh, telling me. <laughs> wait a minute. And you would see him. You just, yeah, yeah right? Like God opened your eyes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I ran into a guy on the square. And he, you could tell he was homeless. He was just sitting there. And for those your listeners that don't know, the Georgetown Square is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a very kind of upscale-ish type area. So a guy sitting like that sort of stuck out. And I went to meet him and introduce myself. And I found out that not only were there homeless, there was an entire community of homeless people, sort of a network, if you will, and that they were living in the river valleys and that they, you know, all these things. And so I was, yeah, I was really kind of blown away by that revelation myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw this guy out by Chipotle one day. He has a backpack. Yeah. You know, and when I walked out, he, you know, he asked me if I, if I, if he could have anything to eat. And I just, I, I, I tell you, Donnie, I'd really not encountered it before, but it's everywhere. Sure. Of course, here in Central Texas, I mean, we're, we're seeing it just, and, and I think what our Austin community, our Austin mayor and city council have done is perpetuate the problem. Yeah. Um, talk us through that a little bit. Maybe some of your experiences. You try to help these guys. Like I know of stories where, you know, you have a man and a woman. They're committed to one another. I don't, I don't know if they were married. I just specifically remember this story. And you helped them get like a motor home. Yeah. So, yeah, through through this. So going into it, I, I just – so I make the random guy on the square. And then that kind of go. I dive headfirst into helping almost exclusively the homeless. And I had this feeling, you know, as being a believer, being involved in the church for so long, I knew the church had immense resources, Mm -hmm. Um, not just the church, like, but like the members, the congregation, people who attend church. I knew that there was a lot of money in the church. And I knew in my heart of hearts that we could go way beyond just meals and and cheap clothes, you know, our throwaway clothes. I knew that we could do bigger things. And so I started telling these stories and putting this stuff on social media. And before I know it, uh, so at, at the peak, I had five RVs. I had almost a dozen cars donated, um, you know, uh, tens of thousands of dollars in, in uh, motel stays, bicycles, bicycles, cell phones, you know, you name it. And so material items were not a problem. In fact, I mean, especially like the, the, the typical donations, I had to like turn a lot of that stuff away because mm-hmm. I didn't have anywhere to keep bags of clothes and all the blankets. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I learned a ton there. You know, I, I, ha- I even did a winter camp at the campsites out at Lake Georgetown. Uh, I housed eight people for four months. You know, I learned a ton there. That's that. In fact, that was probably where I learned the most amount about homelessness in such a short period of time. Um, but I, I again, I, I watched every single person basically walk away from it. You know, I was always focused on work. I was like, you know, you got to you got to get a job. And, you know, the people I, I helped, they were all physically capable. Some of them had some mental handicaps. You know, some of it was drug addiction, uh, just years and years of drug abuse. Mm-hmm. You know, their brains weren't what they used to be. Mm-hmm. But they could all do something. Mm-hmm. You know, they were all functional. They could, you know, hold a conversation. So we'd go and we'd go through these huge hoops to get them an ID. And then we'd go, I'd go and interview with them. And I would meet their managers. And I would kind of explain, hey, this is what's going on. And we'd get them in the door. And we'd get them a job. And they'd work. And they'd collect one paycheck. And then they would quit. <laughs> And, you know, and you the, saw this over and over, again. over and over. Mm-hmm. So uh, this number doesn't sound staggering, but I took it was 17 people. I took off the street 
again, that's not a huge number, but for a guy who just walked out of his house with a camera in his hand just to go meet people <laughs> on the street, that was something, right? Big, yeah. I mean, seven, 17 lives right. trying to get them accommodation and food and jobs. Yes. I mean, I, I struggle with just doing that for three children, so <laughs> I can't even imagine that yes. you're, you have 17, and then you also have your four children. You have your beautiful wife, Kendall, yeah. and she's probably wondering, oh, my gosh, has my husband gone off the deep edge, or is she was she all in with this? Oh, both. So mm-hmm. she was okay. very supportive early on. Um, in fact, it was her coming to me saying, yes, I want you to go into ministry. When she told me that, I was like, God has at work here. You know, <laughs> this is big. This is big. And so she believed in that. And yes, you're right. I walked away from a full-time career. You know, her her job, as soon as I, I put in my notice, her little business started going up. Income was increasing on her end. So whatever we lost, we made back. And I, But I did work for a whole year without any support. I mean, at all. Wow. Like, like personal financial support. I got donations, but it was always for the ministry. And... Um, you know, so we go into that. But as time went on, my kids would say, Dad, you're gone more now than you were when you were at work mm-hmm. because it ministry is a seven day a week job. It's really a 24 hour yeah. job. Mm-hmm. There is really no I'm, I'm, I'm punched out. You know, you mm-hmm. you you need to turn your phone off and get and stay off the Internet completely in order to avoid being contacted. And with it being ministry work, you just always feel compelled to reply, to answer the phone, to, to go and you know meet that need, whatever it may be. So that was a lot of learning there. And the homeless, especially once they learned that they could rely on me, you know, uh, yeah, it it would just it was nonstop. And so that was a big part of learning how to kind of manage that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that was tough. That was difficult. Well, and you were Donnie. Go ahead, Kathy. Go ahead. I was going to say, so you have these 17 um, individuals that you have helped and and gotten jobs and and then you as you said each one started to walk away so where did you go from there well um i was really depressed actually and because here i had i had sort of built a career you know you don't want to put it in those terms but it was like you know my whole reputation i get all these this this praise and this adoration oh you've done all these great things and i'm like well if you only knew you know, it's not as great as it looks and it's a lot of work and it felt like a failure. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, you know, what do I do here? You know, so I'm, it was actually one day I was in the scriptures and God uh, brought me into Luke 15, which is the parable, parable of the prodigal son. Very familiar passage for most of your listeners, I'm sure. And if you recall in that parable, it's a man who took all his possessions and he went and squandered everything he had in reckless living. In wild living. Wild living. It became a lifestyle, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, a famine comes over the land and he begins to be in need. Mm -hmm. Well, so he sells himself out. And and I consider that like selling out, like the homeless sell themselves. They sell their bodies. They sell their souls. He sells himself out to a man who puts him in the field to work with swine. And so here's this man who's wasted his life. He's now living in a field with swine, doing just just living a filthy life. And no one gave him anything. When I read that verse, I was just like, wow, no one gave him anything. But the next verse says he came to himself and he realized my father treats his servants better than this. I will stand up and I will go to my father and I will tell him, Father, he will repent. I've sinned before you and before God. Please take me back. And he did that and he does that and his father welcomes him back and and he gives him his best robe, puts a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet and they have a feast. And it dawned on me while reading that scripture that what I was doing, and this is huge, this is this is what most nonprofits do, this is what churches do. What I was doing is, if you if you back up in the story and you go back into the field with the swine, right before he comes to his senses, we pull up in our church van, we unload our food, and we take out our donated clothes, and we make him comfortable enough, just comfortable enough, to stay in the field with the swine. We interrupt the most important part of the story, and the most important part of the story is that no one gave him anything. That drove him to repentance. He was reaping the consequences of his decisions. And when he did that, he came to himself. One of the Bible commentaries on that scripture says that for him to come to himself means that he was beside himself, that he was out of his mind, 
that he was driven mad. And that's exactly what you have with the homeless. They're drug addicts, by and large. Now, I'm not mm-hmm. everything I'm saying from this point forward is, is referencing the guys and girls who are able-bodied, able-minded, but they're just main, their main problem is drug addiction. I'm well aware that there is severe mental illness out there. I'm well aware that that could be the reason and probably is the reason they're in the situation they're in. However, the problems that we witness in our communities are not because of mental illness. It is drug addiction, drug addiction, followed by drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So he's driven out of his mind. He's mad, and that's what drug addicts are. I'm realizing that, you know, they do irrational things. They make terrible decisions. They do destructive things, and because they're not in their right minds. Well, here we come. We make us, Again, we make them just comfortable enough to where we can kind of soften the blow of that lifestyle to where, frankly, you can live a pretty decent existence just living under a bridge or living in a river valley or in some woods behind the building. Because you know that, listen, hey, I can do my drugs, and there's this church group that will come by and give me the food and the clothes I need. Um, Why why would I change this? You know, it makes it all the harder. They never reap the consequences of their decisions. And that was just, you know, that was a mind that just blew my mind when I kind of saw that in the scriptures. And since then, several other scriptures that kind of lend themselves to the exact same point. You know, you reap what you sow. The Bible is very clear with that. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. And that's, frankly, that's kind of what it is. The homeless lifestyle is the most based form of lifestyle that a human being can live. It's not, it's borderline non-inhuman. And that's why I think people are, they think of working with the homeless, it's almost like you're going and dealing with a wild animal, like a different species of of human. It's almost subhuman. And I don't want to be cold, but it is. It is a terrible, that camp outside y'all's studio here in town. That's just looking at it. You can tell it's filthy. Yeah, it's awful. disgusting. Mm-hmm. And well, Donnie, yes. help us to understand because I know that you mm-hmm. didn't you didn't come to this realization and say, "What am I doing?" and walk away from this. You've just now approached it with an entirely different approach. Can you tell us about that? Right. So, <clears throat> what's crazy is, as soon as I kind of came to that revelation, in fact, I shared this message with our church, and then the very next Sunday, uh, we canceled church and COVID hit. So, mm. in a sense, a famine had come over the land. Mm. And so I go to the camps and I tell the people, hey, you know, this is serious. If you have somewhere to go, you need to go. Because although nonprofits are shutting down, all the churches are shutting down, you guys are really going to be out here stranded. And when you know it, a lot of them did. Mm. A lot, we, you'd be blown away if you knew how many homeless people actually have somewhere to go live. They just can't live there and be drug addicts at the same time, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's a stipulation. So <clears throat> I took the cumulative. Uh, you know, everything I had learned and I, and I kind of whittle it down to three things and I called it uh, identification, motivation, restoration. And here's what I mean. First and foremost, what we could do as a society, uh, uh, legally speaking, is, is get the homeless IDs. Uh, none of them have identification. That's sort of a problem that's hiding in plain sight. They don't have records. They don't have any way of proving who they are, proving where they live. They have nothing. It's a big process. It's huge. It's well, yeah. Huge. Any one of us would have a hard enough time going down to get an ID if, yes. our, if our license expires. Imagine having no proof of anything, no record of any of your existence. So it's like, how do you do that? Mm-hmm. You know, so I, we would jump through the hoops and we would track records down and we would get the IDs. But I was always using my home address. Oh. And when we started getting the fifth person's mail, Kendall's like, uh, yeah, you're going to have to come up with a different plan. This isn't this isn't right. You know, we're having all these people's mail come to my house. And mm-hmm. so it dawned on me one day, you know, the they all get arrested. So if you get arrested by law, you have to prove who you are if you're going to be incarcerated. And I went to a police officer one day and I said, well, how do you do that? If somebody you arrest somebody who doesn't have an ID, how do you prove who they are? That officer told me, he said, if they've had an ID at any time in their life, anywhere in this country, we'll find it. Really? Yeah. I thought, well, great. You've done the hard part. (laughs) You've identified the person, right? Yeah. So we have a process in place that when someone gets out of prison from, you you know, Texas Department of Corrections, they have what's called an inmate ID. And this is an official state level ID that proves who you are. You can't drive with it. You can't. I don't know what, you know, it's just but it's official. Well, labor finders and day labor places, they'll, they're fine with that ID. They don't care. As long as you don't have, you know, they'll use that ID. And so I thought, well, why don't we use that process at the county level? When they get picked up for their criminal trespassing in the park for the fifth time or whatever, you know, you verify who it is. Everybody knows this is Bob mm-hmm. Jenkins or whatever mm-hmm. it is. You know, give him an ID when he gets out. 
an actual ID. It could be a 90-day ID. It could be a six-month ID, a year. I don't know. You know, we could work out those details, but give them some form of identification to prove who they are because then they can go get a job. That is, wow. Okay, so you have three steps that you've, that, that through your experience, this identification, motivation, and restoration. Friends, when we return to Love Talk for our last segment, we're going to get to this motivation and restoration, what Donnie's learned, and how we can take this into our communities um, and look at this issue of homelessness through a different light when we return to Love Talk right after this. And welcome back, friends, to Love Talk. This is Kathy Enderbrock. In studio today is Coach Carrie Brinkader with our special guest, Donnie Boyd, with the Prayer Collective. Donnie, we really appreciate um, just your background and everything that you're doing and helping us to understand the homeless situation and how we can engage and be effective in a positive way rather than um, having a negative effect and enabling things that maybe in in the long run is just going to cause more problems. In our last segment, and friends, I will encourage you, if you missed the last segment, You want to go to our archives at lovetalknetwork.com and pull up this program and listen to the whole program so you can understand uh, Donnie's very unique perspective on the matter, kind of a been there, done that, survived it, and uh, turned my life around perspective so that he's able to really have a um, uniquely understand and help um, the homeless and make a difference in their lives. Now, Donna, you said that you have a three-step process. Right. That's identification, motivation, and restoration. And so you figured out how to actually go and get IDs that are meaningful IDs because the homeless basically have have nothing that shows who they are or where they've come from, you know, what their name is, what their social security is. So you, in conversations with officers, you've actually figured out how to make that happen. Walk us through the motivation and the restoration part. Right. So if we if we can get the first piece of the puzzle, we can get them an ID. They get incarcerated. They get identified. They get an ID when they get out. The second problem I had was, like I said, I would get these people jobs. We would go through all the effort to get work. And as soon as they got one paycheck or as soon as they ran into some kind of problem or conflict with a boss or a customer, they would quit. They would just quit. They would just everything would just be for nothing. So I thought to myself, you know, I went to I'm friends with uh, Judge Donna King up in up in Georgetown and we were having coffee and I was kind of running some of these ideas by her. I said, listen, when you have someone in your courtroom and you're going to sentence them, you know, say you would normally sentence them to 30 days of drug rehab or something like that. I said, instead of that. Can you sentence them to get a job? <laughs> I said, can you tell them, you know, report back to my courtroom in 30 days with a pay stub and then 90 days after that with multiple pay stubs to prove that you've kept your job? And if you do that, offender, you will, we will waive your, you know, your, your jail time will waive your thing. So she looks at me and she goes, yeah, I think I can. You know, it was like mm-hmm. she had never thought of that. Mm-hmm. You and I, everyone listening knows that if you don't want rehab in your heart, it's a waste of time. And I mean, waste of resources. I've sat in the 12 step things, the celebrate recovery, AA, and it's, it's mind numbing and a lot. I'm not, I don't want to belittle it. It's, it's a big to some people and I'm not saying it's totally in effect or, you know, but, but you have to be in the right place right, to want it. You right. have to want it. Just a, a court telling you to go do that doesn't mean anything. It's not like right. magically you're just going to accept all of that. And right. so what a waste of time. And they have a huge problem with rest. Uh, what do you call it? Rest pro- when they keep coming back to jail, I forget the term. Um, they need to find a way to keep them out of jail. And I thought, well, put them to work. Yeah. Get them a job because it's such a – it motivates them. and it, it, it Recidivism. Recidivism. There we you. go. Sorry. Yes. There you go. <laughs> it structures your day. So, like, to get a job, you got to clean yourself up. you got to, you know, you got to shave. you got to go and get a job. And then you got to keep going to job you know, to work. And you have to deal with pressure. And it's like a rehab – it's like a built-in rehab, except this one comes with a paycheck at the end of the week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so – that that to me, it's like if we could give them the motivation because everybody goes, well, the homeless don't care about going to jail. Well, they don't care about like spending a weekend in jail. But you start threatening them with 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, and they they it gets their attention. No, they don't want to be in jail any more than any one of us want to be in jail. So let me ask you this. Are there places that will hire a person that has an ID from a, from a jail? Like you said, this county, this what is it called? a uh, The inmate uh, ID. Inmate ID. Yeah. Are there are there lots of are there are there places that will hire? Yeah. You know, the economy 
when I was doing this was just rocking and rolling yeah. and they were desperate for people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, any of the day labor places, you know, all of them, I, I had talked to people at like Walmart and stuff and they weren't really ready to start this whole new program or anything along those lines. But yeah, they're like, yeah, if they're not wanted and they'll pass a basic background check, then yeah, we'll, we'll hire them. Mm-hmm. And, but the day labor places you work today, you get paid today. Absolutely. You know what I mean? They give you a little card that they charge at the end of the day and it's boom, you got money on your card. And so it's it's an immediate payoff, and and those jobs aren't. We're talking twelve, thirteen, fourteen dollars an hour jobs, you know, which are great. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so good. so identification. Then you give them the motivation. To, by motivation, I mean don't quit your job. You keep staying motivated to keep your job in order mm-hmm. to avoid jail. Okay. And then you could you could tap into restoration, and that's where the church comes in. If you go back to the prodigal son, if you recall the the father, when he saw his son coming from a long ways off, I just love that part. Mm -hmm. Because if you see these homeless people making a a small turn for the better, then that's seeing them from a long ways off. They got a long way to go, but you see them. Well, and the other part of that story that I love too, Donnie, is we don't know how long the father waited. Oh, yeah. No kidding. Right? Right. Yeah. So... And so same, same deal. Yeah. It is. And mm-hmm. and what does he do? He gives them his he gives his son his best robe. Mm-hmm. I love that part too. And it's like we as the church, we can do more than go down and feed them out of our crock pot and give them our old tennis shoes. You know, it's like I always I'm always kind of thrown off by the by the people, you know, people in the church who say I I love I love the homeless. I love you as a human being, and I'm going to express that love to you by giving you my old jeans. Mm-hmm. I'm like, "What?" That's not a sacrifice at all. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, you know, we're being the hands and feet of Jesus. Well, those hands and feet were pierced with a nail. We're not really being that. We're not sacrificing mm-hmm. anything. It's paltry. And it's it was almost offensive sometimes because people really thought if I go and I give my bag of hotel soap that I've collected over the months that I'm really doing something. I'm like, listen, that's like $5 worth of hotel soap. I could just go mm-hmm. buy that, you know. And I had to really actually guard myself because I would, I would get bitter towards the church. Mm. But then as soon as I would do that, somebody would give me a $10,000 RV <laughs> right. from the church. So it went both ways. Um, but the church, the restoration part can be so much more involved. And, and here's, I know we're kind of up against the clock. I'll try to get this as brief as I can. The previous two parables in Luke 15 are the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Those are about individuals going and finding individuals. If I were to start a program today, what I would encourage your church to do is you get get a couple of guys, guys, girls, whatever, you get a group together and you go to a homeless camp and you go there and you go there with nothing but the Bible. Don't take a single material item with you, period. I'm not even talking a, coffee, a cup of coffee, nothing. You what you want to do is remove any pre, you know, any of that stuff, any any sort of you're not trying to compel them to come towards you. You're going with the scriptures. Scriptures tell you, you know, Jesus said that the sheep will hear my voice and they will follow me. So you go and you say, hey, listen, you know, I'm I'm John and I'm from such and such church. We're going to start a Bible study here if anyone's welcome to come. All right. You go you go two, three weeks. Right. In that time, you'll see those who are genuinely interested in the scriptures, who are genuinely listening for the voice of Jesus. What you do at that point, say say a girl's coming and she's shown up and you've kind of built a little relationship. You would you would invite her to meet you somewhere outside the camp. Hey, let's meet tomorrow night at the Golden Chick on the corner. Can you make it five o'clock or whatever? What you're trying to do is isolate them from the camp, and you're trying to trying to ascertain a little more about who they are, about what the, what their interest, what their mindset is. Are they genuinely wanting to get sober? Are they wanting to get away from that lifestyle? Are they wanting to? But you're not doing it with stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, she's come to three Bible studies. I guess you can get her a, a, a plate of chicken or whatever. <laughs> you know, there, I'm saying you know, so you do that. You get her, you get her isolated. Ideally, what I would like to do is to encourage churches, if you want to serve the homeless, instead of going down and starting some new soup kitchen or some big giveaway that's going to, you know, it's going to have this ultra tiny effect on on a lot of people. In fact, it may even, it perpetuates the problem, just to be frank. Try to seek out the one. Try to draw one out. And what you're really trying to do is get them to become part of your family. They all lack family. Mm-hmm. So bring them into your family. Bring them into your church family. You know, how does that look? I don't, you know, there's a lot of different things churches could do. Maybe you have a couple tents on your church property. Most churches have, if anything, we got property. You know, if you got a little area out back, maybe you set up a little tiny shed and you put a bunk in it and, you you know, you run some electricity out to it. Real basic, real simple. But you do it on a small individual level and you do it in a way that's 
you're trying to verify that they're into it for the right reasons. They're not doing it for the free stuff, and they're really, really willing to make a change. And if you find that person and say they get sober, they get a job, boom, well, look, buy them a car. Mm-hmm. Main Street Baptist Church, we could save up $3,500, $4,500 in one Sunday in one offering plate and, and buy somebody a vehicle. No problem. That's easy. There are churches out there that could do 10 times that. Mm-hmm. So in other words, instead of giving off our free stuff that it really means nothing to a bunch of people who could care less, you know, they have more of that junk than they know what to do with mm-hmm. these people. Look, you go look at that camp. It's packed full of stuff. Yeah. We don't need more stuff. They need the gospel and nothing but the gospel. And if they respond to that, then the church can, boom, embrace that person. That's kind of how I see it. So you took the parable of the lost son. You go back and you look at the parables before that, right? Um, the parable of the lost sheep where Jesus found Well, the shepherd finds the one. One. And that's where you're saying is the most impact because you had 17 people. And, Donnie, you know, I'd love to hear these stories. I know they're sad, but and maybe you haven't heard from these guys again. But I guarantee you, you had an impact on their life. And at some point, I pray, (laughs) at some point, I pray that they get out of their addictions, that they that they, as you say, Come to themselves, mm-hmm. right? The guy who's—I mean—he's—he's he's keeping the swine. It's all—it's against his culture to even, to even be yeah. touch touch a pig, right? And he's having to clean clean up their <laughs> their mess. But he comes to himself. Wow, wow, Donnie, I, I just—I thank you so much. I, I swear we could talk for three hours, four hours with you. Um, you just have so much to offer. How can people find you, Donnie? So I, I do have a little website, theprayercollective.org. Um, some of the stories are on there. A lot of the homeless stories are there. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, Facebook. And um, I mean, I'm on I'm on Instagram a little bit, but, you know, I'm not huge on the social media thing. I'm mostly just Facebook. The so. Prayer Collective, people, go find it. It is, it is powerful. It is absolutely powerful um, to see God in all the details. Friends, we love you so much. Um, you can always find us on Love Talk Network. Um, please share this, uh, this show with your friends. And we wish you all the best this week. We pray that you'll find a church where you can go and worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the one who wants you to be in relationship with him, to see the glory and the goodness of his power and his love. Friends, thank you for joining us here on Love Talk. For my friend Kathy Enderbrock, I'm Coach Carrie Brinkader. We'll see you next time right here on Love Talk.